weeks ago, I spoke about the glory of God, um, and we talked about just a few of his amazing attributes, um, and we, we kind of looked at it with a backdrop of creation as kind of showing how incomprehensible um, his greatness is, and we used that um, to kind of understand each of those attributes, how each one of them is beyond our understanding. Um, today, I would like to try and personalize a little bit the greatest of those attributes, uh, which is love. The title of the message today is The Heart of God. Uh, last week, Pastor Don talked about giving, and uh, it was a really good message. If, uh, if any of you had not heard it, it is online. You can go to the website, and there's a link there. Or if you are a subscriber to Spotify or SoundCloud or iTunes or whatever, it's, it's on there. Look up Bible Center Church and, uh, and listen to Pastor's message on giving. Uh, one of the main points that he gave was you can love let me start over. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And, uh, and when I was sitting there listening to the message, I was thinking about um, how I see that played out in our, my family. And it, it maybe seems a little bit trivial, um, but when we're sitting at the supper table, there are times uh, when we almost have to fight over like trying to give somebody else the last piece of a favorite food, you know, because we want to show love. We want to show kindness to the other person. Um, now that is not always the case. There are other times when I, I can see the person eyeballing it and quickly devouring the food on their plate in order to make room and give a reason for them to grab that last chicken leg. Um, but, uh, but on the occasions that it does happen, um, it's not something that is done because we rationalize it because we think, okay, um, he's my brother or my sister or my mother or, or whatever, um, so I should love them, and if I love them, I should want to give things to them, and and so I guess I'll let them have it. You know, um, that's that's not how it works. Um, we love them, and that's a love that's internalized. It's something that comes out naturally. That when we allow ourselves to think with our heart, not our stomach, that is, um, that we we choose to um, to show them love, to show them kindness. And uh, anyways, it's, it's helpful for me to look at our family, um, the relationship between, especially now that I have kids, to look at that relationship. Or as kids, if you think about your parents, um, to think about how, um, how God loves us as he wants us to be his children. So it helps us to kind of understand it when we have this, this relationship on earth that we can kind of use as, a, as a, an example. Um, giving, of course, is only one aspect of how we should show love. Uh, we also protect, care for wounds, encourage, comfort, correct, give guidance. And sometimes we just say it out loud uh, or with a look or with a hug. We say, I love you. Um, today, I'm hoping to paint a picture of the heart of God towards us by describing some of the ways that he loves us. I'm going to pray for the message and then we'll dive in. Lord, I just thank you that you love us. I thank you that uh, you desire to call us your children, that you've adopted us as your own. Um, Lord, I just pray that as I take pieces of scripture throughout your word and try and um, put them together, that it'll paint a clear picture um, of how great your love is for us, uh, that, we can, um, that we can learn how to receive it in a way and internalize it so much that, that we reciprocate it in a way that's pleasing to you. So, 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first aspect of love that we're going to look at is discipline. Probably not your favorite to talk about, but discipline is part of God's heart of love towards us. In Hebrews 12, 5 through 10, we got a lot of verses today, so I hope you, you know, it's Bible Center Church, so we're going to have some Bible. Um, so in Hebrews uh, 5 through 10, it says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My children, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure, um, endeavor, endure, sorry, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers, or respect our earthly fathers, depending on your situation, who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of our father, uh, of the father of our spirit and live forever? For our earthly fathers discipline us for a few years, doing the best they know how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. All right, so God wants to show his heart of love for us by disciplining us. That's how we know that we're his children. If he doesn't discipline us, we're not his. Um, so, um, or you're just not making any mistakes. But I, I, I still make mistakes. I'm assuming that we all have, had, have, our, have our moments uh, on a fairly regular basis uh, trying to live up to God's holy standards. So, um, we need discipline, we need guidance, we need correction. Um, one example of this in the Bible, and this is an extreme example, is King David and his adultery with Uriah's wife Bathsheba. Uh, many of you know this story well, um, but I'm just going to give a kind of a quick recap. So uh, Israel's army was at war. And David was kind of neglecting his duties. He should have been out with the army, but instead he stayed at the palace and was lounging around. Um, during this time, he noticed a beautiful woman. And uh, not knowing who he was, he sent out to find out. And then once he knew, um, he found out that she was a married woman, but still he decided to send for her and he committed adultery with her. Uh, time goes by and he receives notice that she's pregnant. So David devises a scheme to cover up what he did by having Uriah come back and so he could sleep with his wife and he'll never know that the child is not his. Um, when that plan failed, he decides the next thing he can do is to send Uriah to the front of the battle and then withdraw that he might be killed. And so that's what he does. And after Uriah is dead, um, he marries Bathsheba and life goes on. So he thinks. Um, until one day, God sent the prophet Nathan to confront him and correct him. Nathan uses a story um, to cause David to finally come face to face with what he did, to look in a mirror and see clearly the horrible sins that he's committed and the contempt that he showed for the word of the Lord. Then Nathan told David of the punishment that will be on his household and that the child that was conceived will not live. 
Now, this is a horrible situation. This is um, sin that that is just to us seems very repulsive. To anybody should seem repulsive. Um, it includes adultery, murder, potentially rape, and that Bathsheba had no way of fighting against the order of a king. And at at uh, at this moment, you might think, sure, David may have been a a faithful follower of God, a man after God's own own heart in the past, but God certainly cannot still love him. I mean, look, he's pouring out his wrath and anger on him. Now, God certainly was upset with him. He certainly was angry with him. But God also had a love for him. He also, for the glory of his name, and because of his love for him, um, desired to correct him and restore him. And, uh, and we get a little insight in this when we look uh, in Psalms 51 where David uh, writes about his response to this correction. Um, again, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm just going to highlight some of the phrases that David uses. He starts by recognizing God's unfailing love. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Even despite all of these horrible sins, God's love was unfailing. He says, wash me clean, purify me. You desire honesty. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit in me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Make me willing to obey you. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit, and you will not reject a broken and repentant heart. David received God's discipline, and he took it, and he didn't, he didn't crumble under it. He didn't, he didn't um, hide from it, but he received the weight of it, and he responded in brokenness and humility. And if the evidence of David's response to the correction, to the discipline that God gave, um, isn't enough, if we look forward into the next part of the story, uh, we see that um, David and Bathsheba soon after this, um, conceived another child, and he was born, and his name was Solomon. And soon after, he got word from Nathan again, and the Lord had spoken through Nathan that his name should be Jedidiah, which means loved by God. After, after all this, God still takes his offspring and says, you know, I'm, I love you. I love your descendants. I'm not going to remove myself from you. I'm still for you. Um, thankfully, today we are under a new covenant, and the punishments that David and his family endured will not, we won't see them poured out on us because God's, God in his mercy uh, poured them out on Jesus in our place. Second uh, Timothy says that the word of God corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So the word of God in conjunction with the Holy Spirit is able to prick our consciences. It's able to cause our hearts um, to ache and, and steer us towards repentance. But we must remember, even though we, we're not going to be under that, that punishment like David experienced with his child dying and, and, uh, and some other things happening within his, his household lines and promises of some, some, uh, some more kind of egregious sins that were going to happen against him from his own family, 
um, we're not going to experience that sort of, of thing. But, um, but there was a punishment. We had communion today and we thought about this. We, we just remembered it. That punishment that Jesus took on us, on him, is part of this correction. It's part of this discipline. When we recognize that, that we've done something wrong and we need to be redirected, um, we have to recognize that there was a punishment. Um, I, uh, I thought sometimes we can maybe feel like, because we don't see the punishment, that, that maybe we just had a small sin. You know, it was just a little one, right? There are no small sins. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's it. That that's sin equals death, and that death was paid for on the cross. And when we recognize the penalty that went along with our sin, then we respond like David did, and we say, thank you for your mercy on me, God, because of your unfailing love. Wash me, clean me, purify me, create in me a clean heart, O God. I celebrate the joy of, my, of your salvation. Make me willing to obey. I offer to you a broken and repentant heart. As we look at Romans 2.4 and think about the punishment taken in our place, um, I like to think, I like you to try and think of kind, the kindness that is talked about um, as in terms of that punishment. So when it says, uh, it says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness, which is his display of love on the cross for us, is meant to turn us from sin? When we look at the punishment that was paid, if when we look at the consequences of our sin, that should cause us to see his love and re respond by, by humbling ourselves and being broken and turning to him. Now, the purpose of this is that God wants us uh, to be in right standing with right relationship with him. Uh, he wants to correct you um, that we could walk closer with him. So Jesus loves us and he disciplines us. Um, Moving on from that, the next way that we see the heart of God and God's love for us is in comfort. Um, the next detail we are going to add to this portrait um, is that God desires to comfort you. We see this in 1 Peter, uh, verse 5, 7. It says, give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7 says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. And he comforts us in all of our trouble, trouble so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, um, we are able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffered. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort that God gives us. So based on this passage alone, we'd have to agree that comfort is a big part of God's heart for us, right? Uh, we had about four verses there, and I think about uh, eight different mentions of comfort. God cares for us. He's concerned about the things that are bothering us. 
He cares about the trials and pains that we encounter in this life. Um, and uh, he's given us his word, the Bible, to comfort us. In fact, one of the key benefits of Jesus returning to heaven is that he could send us the Holy Spirit, which in the King James um, refers to as the Comforter. That's in John fourteen twenty six. It says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and remember this, bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So the Word of God offers us comfort, and it's the Holy Spirit that brings remembrance. So that was the, the clue there. Um, so it says, He will bring all things to remembrance whoso, or whatsoever I have said to you. Now, I know most people, or not most people, but a lot of people complain about their memory, um, especially when people get older or for some reason when they're pregnant. And um, <laughs> I, I get the memory loss with age that, that, you know, it seems kind of makes sense that there'd be a natural deterioration a little bit. Uh, I, I'm not sure. But um, with the pregnancy stuff, I've just kind of decided I, I'm not going to argue with a pregnant woman. So <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just take their word for it. But uh, no matter how good your memory is, it is impossible uh, for you to remember something that you never knew, right? Okay. Um, so if the Holy Spirit is going to bring to our remembrance um, whatsoever he said, then we need to know some of those whatsoevers. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to just look at a few different things that we run into in this life. And we're going to look at some of the verses that God speaks to us that we can use as comfort. And, and we're also going to kind of look at some verses that kind of display what his heart is in it. Because that's, that's what we want to really get at here is that um, God isn't just doing this because he uh, said he would. It's not because he's bound by his word. God has a heart to, um, to show his love for us. And in this case, we're going to look at his heart for comforting us. Uh, Matthew um, chapter 5, verse 4 says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In First in Peter 5, 7, it says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. So we see there, God wants to comfort us. God cares for us. This is his desire. This is his heart. Um, in Second Corinthians Actually, I'm going backwards here. Um, in uh, oh, didn't I did actually go backwards? Um, so we're going to go to uh, Psalms. You got Psalms uh, 34. I thought I read that verse already. Um, Psalms 34:18 says, "The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He rescues those who are crushed. He wants to comfort us." I am actually jumping all over the place here. So, forgive me, I lost my spot in the notes. I thought I fixed it, and uh, it turns out that I went forward and then backwards and forward again. So, let's see. All right. So, no, I did it right. I was right the first I was right the second time, not the first time. <laughs> wow. I'm glad we're family here, that I can just... <laughs> I can just mess up a little bit and you guys can be okay with it. So thank you for that. Um, 
All right. So we're talking about how God wants to comfort us in mourning. Um, and, and when we experience a loss of a loved one, sometimes it can seem more than we can bear. Um, I think most of us here have, have had that um, experience at some point in our life. And if we haven't in the past, it's a matter of time before someone that we love is going to pass away and we're going to need comfort. Um, God's desire is to comfort us. Uh, we see this in, uh, in Jesus when we look at the death of Lazarus. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and he saw the pain and the ache in the heart of those around her, says Jesus wept. He was moved by the pain and the hurt that, that his friends had, that his, his followers had. God cares about your hurting heart. Um, Jesus offered comfort to Martha by saying, and this is true for us today, and this is one of those things that we, we should lock away. Um, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Um, we also find comfort in uh, uh, Revelation 21.4, where it says, um, where it says that those people are, when, when they pass away, they're free from pain. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things will be gone forever. Another reason God comforts us is in our worries. One of the first things he says is don't worry. But, uh, but, but we're, you know, we have a natural tendency um, to worry about things. And uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it says, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. That last part uh, sounds a lot to me like comfort. And, and, and it ends with his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Um, this next verse connects a key aspect of the comfort that we can find uh, in our worry. It, it says, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as many, sorry, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So both of those verses that are talking about not worrying and finding peace, they also tell us to be thankful, to recognize that God has met our needs in the past. He's, there's a lot of needs that, we, that we're experiencing right now that have already been met, and it gives us hope and trust in him to meet those needs or those, those concerns that we have in the future. And so um, we just want to remember those as we, we need comfort that God directs us to give thanks. We also see in uh, Psalms 23, 1 through 4, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. It's just recognizing. It's proclaiming that I have what I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside str uh, peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the valley, the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. You're close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. I love the reassurance that he is near, that he leads me, that it, it says that you are close beside me. Um, 
This is another great verse uh, if you are experiencing any sort of fear about anything, um, which is another time that God wants to comfort you. Okay, so if you're ever experiencing fear, um, now if you're experiencing fear or if you ever struggle with fear, it turns out there is a lot of verses in the Bible about fear. I don't know if you've heard this before, but I heard one time that there are 365 verses in the Bible that say either um, do not fear or be not afraid. So you've got one for every day of the year. So God is providing you uh, with comfort and fear uh, through his word. But we're going to look at a couple of them. Isaiah 51, 12 and Isaiah 51, 15. Um, 12 says, I, yes, I am the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans who wither like the grass and disappear? The beginning of that just catches me. It says, I, yes, I. You have to remember, this is God speaking, right? Like when he says, I, yes, I, the, the, the king of the, the, the creator of the universe, the one who laid the foundations of the earth, I'm the one um, that comforts you. Uh, how can you possibly uh, be concerned about uh, humans and fear of them? Um, it says in verse 15, just kind of emphasizing how big he is. He says, for I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea, causing its waves to roar. My name is the Lord of heaven's armies. God reminds us here that he is mighty and what seems overwhelming to us is no match for him. Isaiah 41.4 says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Um, I thought that was kind of um, interesting because um, God doesn't have another. He doesn't have a hand that's not victorious, you know? Like, but, but he wants us to remember, um, but, but God, uh, doesn't ever lose. He doesn't have a losing hand. Um, he, he is always victorious. And so, um, we have no need for fear because we're walking with a God that is always victorious. Um, next, have you ever felt helpless? Um, whether it was in a relationship that you couldn't fix or whether it's a parenting issue and, and you just don't know what to do or how to handle it, or maybe you just can't find your car keys and you really need to get out the door. Um, God cares for you and he wants to help you. Um, Psalms 121, 1 and 2 says, I look, to the, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Who is more qualified to help you than the one who created the heavens and the earth. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever done this before. Um, I've had times where I'm looking for something important and I just can't find it. And I'm looking and looking and looking. And finally I stop and I have actually prayed and asked, God, can you help me find this thing? And within a minute, it's like I remember where I put it or I, I, it jumps out at me in the pile of stuff that I've already looked at twice before. Um, God cares about you and he wants to help you. Um, Another story, which I wasn't sure if I wanted to share or not, but but I think I'm going to. Um, <laughs> Gordy was uh, talking during communion about um, times that were betrayed, you know. And, and that's the interesting thing is, you see, Jesus came and he walked on earth and he experienced a lot of these things. He experienced the things that we are going through. So he knows what they're like. Um, God is not... Um, 
so distanced that, that he doesn't, that he doesn't recognize the pain that we feel. And Jesus felt betrayal. And there was one time, um, that I, I had a group of friends, some of my closest friends, and they, they turned on me. And, and it was, I felt like my heart was rung through a ringer. It was just, I couldn't even, I couldn't even get them to talk to me so I could try and figure out what even happened. I, I, I still to this day have no idea. I was reminded of it, of it just a, a couple of days ago as I actually ran in um, to somebody connected with the situation and, and I'm, and it still kind of brought back a little bit of that, that ache, you know, from the, from an unresolved issue where, where the people who were closest to me um, walked away from me. But it, it's crazy how, uh, it's, it's in those moments. It's in those times where, where you need God, that you experience God in the ways that stick with you for the rest of your life. And so, um, I remember, uh, pretty clearly just, um, I was, I was still living in my parents' house and I was just, just broken. And I was just crying and praying to the Lord. And, and I, I prayed and I fasted for, a couple of days. And then at a certain point, I just had this amazing breakthrough. And I just, I remember this joy that, that just filled me. And I'm just like, out of nowhere, it was like, nothing changed. Like I said, even to today, I, I don't know what happened. I don't, I don't know uh, why they did this, but, but in the middle of it, I received this joy to be able to, to get up and move on and be able to to go forward. And it was just, um, it was incredible. God uh, cares about our hurts and he wants to offer us comfort. Um, so moving, uh, moving from comfort, the next depiction of God's heart that I want to talk about is uh, reconciliation. Second um, Peter 3.9 says, the Lord really uh, isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. He doesn't want this. It is not just that the penalty is removed, but that he goes even further and he crowns me with his love and tender mercies. And that leads us to the next characteristic of God, is that he wants us to be restored. He has a heart of restoration for us. Um, God wants to restore us to the kind of relationship that man was originally created for. He wants to see the, attri he wants to see the attributes of God portrayed. Sorry. We see the attributes of God portrayed in the story of the prodigal son. Um, when we see the, the prodigal son, he comes back and it wasn't that his sins were just forgiven or that his, his rebellion was forgiven. He says, all right, I won't hold it against you you can work for me. He said, no, bring out the robe, bring out the rings. You know, this is my son. He calls him his son. And the heart of God is that we would be restored to the position of children of the most high God. So as we read the, the next, pa um, as we read these next passages, I want you to notice uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in this, um, because it's so integral, um, just like uh, how the Holy Spirit is the one that reminds us of the verses that comfort us. It's the Holy Spirit that, that helps um, convict us and, and discipline us and help us be aware of, of what's going on in our hearts. 
um, we see the Holy Spirit's role in this too. It says in Romans uh, 8, verses 15 through 16, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are children of God. We're sealed by his spirit as children of God. In Galatians 4, 5 through 7, it says, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father. Uh, some translations just say that, that basically the spirit of God causes us to cry out Abba Father. Um, now you are no longer slaves, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Um, so we see this important role of the Holy Spirit helping us to receive and to reciprocate God's love. And here it says that it's the Spirit of the Lord causing us to be able to call him Father. God sealed us with his Spirit, and he adopted us as his children. And, it, and he wants us so much to be his children. He wants so much that that type of relationship that when he put the Spirit of God in us, that that Spirit... Call, urges us, compels us to cry out Father. So we don't even have to do it on our own. It's the Spirit of God in us that, that brings that relationship to the, to the forefront. That, that brings it, it makes it the core of, of, of how we are reconciled and renewed in our relationship to Him. Um, I'm going to have the worship team start to come up. Um, Peter is, a, is also an example in the Bible of God's heart of restoration. When we look in John 21, verses 15 through 17, it says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him, uh, feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter, yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Jesus knew that Peter had denied him three times. And Peter knew that Jesus knew that he had denied him three times. And I'm sure that Peter felt a sense of unworthiness to be able to step into the, a role of a high role in the kingdom of God, to be able to be used by God to build his church. But Jesus not only repeated the question three times, which I think we, we oftentimes focus on the question and, and the answer, um, to the question, but he also repeated the call to leadership to Peter three times. Jesus did not give up on Peter, but instead he restored the confidence that he had lost and restored him to again become a leader among the disciples that were to become the apostles of the church. So in conclusion, as we, as we begin to wrap this up, um, in life we can oftentimes become accustomed 
to the acts of love that we receive from a friend or a sibling or a spouse towards us, um, we can forget to recognize it as love and stop reciprocating it back. It is easy for me to take for granted when I get up in the morning and I pull out clean clothes out of my dresser um, or when I sit down at the table to eat food or when I uh, relax in a chair that my wife is the one who made my clothes clean, that prepared the food for me, that did her best to keep the house clean even though we have three kids that are determined to make sure that it doesn't stay that way. The same is true for, for her. You know, it can be easy to, to forget that, you know, or to come accustomed to the fact that I get up early before the rest of the family, that I go to work to provide finances, that if it's broken, she expects that I'll fix it. When it needs to be maintained, that I'll maintain it. Um, that the same thing can become true of the acts of love that God shows us. The stuff that he displays and provides for us on a daily basis can become um, so routine, we can become so accustomed to him that we don't reciprocate back to him the love that he deserves. And I think we've all had those moments when we realize that. And when we do, it breaks our hearts that we, we haven't been giving Jesus the response that he deserves. You see, God is a jealous God. And normally that seems like a bad thing, jealousy, but God has a right to be jealous. It says in Exodus um, 20, verse 4 and 5, it says, you must, make, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or any image of anything in heaven or in earth or in sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. Let me say it again. He has a right to be a jealous God. The Lord, um, the love that God has given us is so great that not responding to that love by making him first in our life is kind of an insult, right? Um, when we look at Romans 5, 8, and it says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And then we say, uh, we respond by saying, okay, thanks, Jesus, I love you. Um, I'll see you in heaven. Um, and then we just carry on our life just living self-focused. Um, that's not what God commands. And it's not the intimate relationship with us that he longs for. And I know that is not most of us. It's probably not any of us here um, that would act quite that crassly um, in view of, of the demonstration of love that God gave us. But I think that we all experience times when we don't display the wholehearted love for him that he deserves. Um, and there are people out there who do respond to Jesus in the way I mentioned above. I have friends that I worked with that would say that they are Christians or have a Christian faith, but yet um, it seems like they have no desire to cry out to God, Abba, Father. They don't seem to have that father-son uh, relationship, and it just makes you wonder whether the Spirit of God is truly living in them. Church, that God wants to know 
the God of the universe wants to know them intimately, and he wants to know us intimately. John 15, talking about the vine um, and the branches, uses the phrase, abide in me and I'll abide in you. Like this is an intimate union between us and Jesus. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3 says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Gordy talked about the, the table, the supper, the, the, the kind of union you have. The Bible constantly uses a, a meal as a, as a description of, of this kind of intimate um, joining together. And you see this in Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. It says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come. Take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you, that does you no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest foods. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you and give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. God wants to be our first love, and his heart is that we would receive his loving discipline. He wants to give us comfort in their pain and the trials that we experience in life. He wants to take away our worry. He wants to take away our fear. He's a God who wants to reconcile us to himself, that our debts would be paid, and he wants to restore us, that we would be children of God. just want to ask us to just take a moment. Um, we're going to sing a, a song before we close. So let's just worship him and just uh, take a moment to remember the amazing love, his amazing heart for us, that he, he cares for us um, despite our wicked deeds, despite the fact that, that we, were, we were still sinning, still turned our back on him, when he chose to come and die for us. God, um, God's love is, is beyond measure. We talked about that last week, or not last week, the week before, as we were looking at how incomprehensible or incomprehensible God truly is. Lord, we just, uh, we just want to bask in, in the knowledge of how good you are to us, of how you demonstrated your love for us, how you continually um, offer your love to us, regardless of, of our actions. We can't, we can't do actions good enough to, uh, to, to drive the, the availability of your love away, and we can't, uh, we can't do anything good enough to earn it, Lord. We just thank you. We thank you that your love is for us, Lord God, that your heart is for us, you desire good for us, and that you want to know us. I want to send you all off with this last thought. The heart of God is to be known in an intimate way by us. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. 
Be still and know that I am God. Find time to stop what you're doing. Allow the Holy Spirit in you to speak out and say, Abba, Father, I love you and I want to connect with you. I want to know you more. Be still and know that I am God. So as we go today, go with hearts responding to God's amazing love by crying out, Abba, Father, and then talk to him as if he is your father. Amen.